0: Welcome to the Ice Lab Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael Marinaro and Trent Michaud.
1: We are going to take you deep into our labs as well as many different high performance professionals we've connected with on our journey as we strive for excellence. Welcome back to another episode of the Ice Lab podcast. Good evening, Michael. How is it going, man? It's going good. Tuesday night. How about you, Trent? Oh, pretty good. We just got back from camp, just uh, hitting the beginning of the week, working on some improvements from our feedback from the weekend, from last week. And uh, it was pretty nice actually having a national team camp again this year, eh, Mike? Yes, it was beautiful. Uh Having
0: the whole gang back together, everybody from all over the country, some friends we haven't seen in almost two years now was uh, super, super good
1: and definitely energizing to uh, get the whole crew uh, back together. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, actually. You know, when I was talking to Keegan, Keegan hasn't been in in Canada since Nationals in 2020. and. It just seems crazy that it was that long ago. That was the last time that a lot of us were all together at the same time besides some of the world team members. So it was really nice to have that uh, back going again. Really nice to have that motivation and see that everybody's working hard and get those feedbacks early on in the season like we normally get to, whereas last season we didn't. So really excited about that and ready to keep pushing on to hopefully, well, not hopefully, but start competing and very soon. So super exciting. Uh, Besides that, we had a pretty fun weekend, eh, Mike? We did. We did. Trent played his first uh,
0: beginner tournament, we'll call it. It wasn't quite a real disc golf tournament, but it was a beginner event, par two. Usually uh, the shortest hole on a uh, golf course or disc golf course is uh, par three. So it was a little bit shorter. Par two, nice little entry pack, uh, beginner setup. And Trent did it, folks, for the first time. For the first time ever, Trent beat me, but it wasn't quite real disc golf because it was only a part two, which doesn't actually exist in real disc golf, but the pretend win goes to Trent he showed everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it's, I did it, I said it right away, I know it's not a full win, but I'm going to take it because <laughs> it gives me the confidence to get to you on the full win now. Getting yes. closer. Getting we played closer. a full
0: round after and I still got you. That was your time. You had the momentum. You were riding the momentum. I was a little bit nervous on the real round after.
1: It's still coming for you, buddy. Don't worry about it. Well, you should be worried about it, actually. (laughs) Good Uh, luck. Thank you. Thank you. But besides that, let's get to it. Mike, who do we have on today? We have a uh, pretty special guest with
0: us today. She is a three-time national champion, four-time Grand Prix finalist two-time Olympian and for the first time ever on the Ice Lab podcast we have an Olympic medalist an Olympic silver medalist and one of my favorite guests so far I may be a little bit biased but welcome Kirsten Mortowers.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here uh, I'm I'm not gonna say anything about one of your favorite guests but <laughs> I'll just pretend I'm happy with that And congrats Trent on your uh, fake win on the weekend.
1: Thank you thank you very much. It still feels good still uh, got some work to do. I wanna I, I'm gonna get him soon. I gotta get him before the season's done. It's I,
0: gonna happen. He's uh, he's uh, his learning curve is very steep and we are pretty tight right now, so it's it's going to happen soon, unfortunately. Oh, boy.
2: I was talking to Evelyn, uh, as we do, a couple days ago, and we discussed how you guys at camp spoke more about disc golf than you spoke about skating, and so far in this podcast, that is true. So <laughs>
1: it's, not, it's not wrong. Well, I don't
2: have a lot to contribute to the disc golf conversation, <laughs> but...
1: <laughs> We, it's something we enjoy to do. That's helping us, uh, set back and use our minds differently from skating. It's helping us with our skating.
2: You know what, when people, you guys made fun of Mike, I was the only person that did not make fun of Mike. I so. know.
1: I know. I do feel bad for that. I actually <laughs> apologize because I enjoy it so much <laughs> now.
0: <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. One year guy makes fun of me and now he has more discs than me, order and mystery boxes of discs He doesn't even know <laughs> from all over the country. And four weeks ago, he was making fun of me, but I appreciate the partner to throw some diss around now.
1: <laughs> it's all part. Of, it's all part of it, Mike. We wouldn't it, <laughs> let's be honest. We always chirp each other for everything. Very true. <laughs> so curse for those people who don't know a lot about you that are listening to this podcast. Let's start it with your, uh, your journey. How did you get into skating? And yeah, you know, let's just start there.
2: Yeah. I, uh, my mom was a skater. Um she skated not to, I guess, through high school, uh, she wasn't super serious, but nonetheless, she wanted me to be a skater, it was something that she was still pretty passionate about. And so she put me on the ice when I was two years old. And I don't remember anything, but she tells me that I absolutely hated it and cried and screamed and I couldn't skate, of course, I couldn't stand up. And so she told me that once I learned to skate, Uh, like a good Canadian, then I could uh, stop going to the rink and stop taking my lessons. But at that time, once I learned to skate and learned to benefit from the cool things that skating has to offer, I was hooked. And I I haven't turned back since. That's, I guess, 27 years ago.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Sherry. Thank you for making her uh, stick with (laughs) it. Really appreciate
1: it.
2: (laughs) Thanks, mom.
1: So do, where did that start for you then? Like what? Like where was your first arena, first skating club, all that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah, I was born in St. Catharines, Ontario, a city that's about ten minutes, I guess, from Niagara Falls. For those who aren't familiar, and I I started there at the skate at the St. Catharines, the Winter Club of St. Catharines, it was called, it still is called, I think. And um, my mom took me in and knew all the coaches. She actually skated with a few of the coaches, so. Um, I had my first skating coach from the time I was two years old until I was uh, 11 or 12, I believe. And um, that was my start. I spent a good part of my childhood at those rinks. And I was that kid that really just wanted to skate all the time. I was never pushed by my parents, except for when I had first started. Uh, I was never pushed to go to the rink. I begged my mom to take me to skating every day. And because we were from a little bit of a smaller club, it wasn't a competitive club by any means. So we didn't have ice all the time. So my mom or both my parents, my grandparents were driving me uh, anywhere within like a 50 kilometer radius to get me to a rink to have as much ice as uh, my little heart desired at that time.
0: How long did it take you before you had dreams and aspirations of becoming a Canadian pairs champion?
2: Uh, Well, Canadian pair champion that took that took a lot longer. I was pretty set on being a single skater at the Olympics. Uh, I had no desire to skate pairs. I wanted to uh, do it by myself. And I was pretty adamant that I could do that. My my very first hero was Sasha Cohen. Um, And I used to like write letters to sasha cohen i don't think i've ever said this publicly i never sent them they were never sent. but um i wrote letters to myself and these letters would say don't open till the olympics i have no idea where they are i wish i did because that would have been pretty funny actually but um the first time i knew i wanted to be an olympian i was seven years old i remember it like it was yesterday and i told my mom that I was going to go to the Olympics with the with the certainty and the confidence that only a seven-year-old has, you know, when you're like too naive to really know any better. And my mom, who I think wanted to let me down gently, she's a really nice lady, um, but pre- pretty realistic too. And she told me, you know, Kirsten, not everybody gets to go to the Olympics, but if you try your best, you should be happy with that. And I, I told her, mom, somebody has to go. Why can't it be me? (laughs) And she says that at the time she was just kind of shocked that her little seven-year-old had this kind of idea that really made so much sense. And so she was kind of like, okay, here we go. And just did everything she could. Her and my dad both did everything they could from that point on to um, foster, help me to foster my dreams in any way that they could.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, the conviction of the seven-year-old. You got to have that little seven-year-old heart in you for a lot of things, eh?
2: Yeah, I wish I still had that.
1: <laughs> uh, so then, obviously, so some of us know, but how did you get into pair skating then? Because you just said you were not going to be a pair skater.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Like I said, I wanted to go to the Olympics as a single skater. I was sure I was going to do it in 2010. Again, the confidence of a, of a younger skater that uh, obviously doesn't know a whole lot about uh, what it takes and and how much obviously goes into becoming an Olympian. And um, I competed in singles at uh, a fairly, uh, I was fairly successful in singles. I would say I was pretty successful as a novice. Um, I did a, a junior B international, so not a junior Grand Prix, just an event just below that and um, was pretty successful there as well. But um, once I turned 15, I was hitting a little bit of a funk, I still loved skating, but I had lost a little bit of the spark that I had. And uh, for those who don't uh, know me, I am uh, four foot 11, like if I'm stretching. Um, so I'm pretty short. And obviously, at that age, I was maybe even a little bit shorter than that. And um, I had had quite a few requests for pair tryouts. And as I mentioned, I wanted to be a single skater. I always turned them down. But as I was in this little bit of a funk as a single skater, I thought, what do I have to lose? Maybe, I'm, maybe I'll just try. I'll try something different and uh, see if that sparks my interest. Or at the very least, I learn a new skill. And I was hooked. I just loved skating with a partner. I loved the idea of experiencing the highs and lows with somebody else and sharing my journey with someone else. And that's always been really important to me. And so as a 15-year-old, almost 16, I started my pair journey, which at the time was pretty late. For uh my friends around me, they had all started pairs much earlier than I did.
1: You know, it's kind of funny because I'm pretty sure Mike did not want to be a pair <laughs> skater either. He was That's gonna be true. a single skater. It's meant You're to right. be.
0: <laughs> yep. After uh skating pairs and getting uh to go through those emotions with another person skating by yourself is uh not fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <I agree. laughs> you realize Sorry very- to
2: any of your single skater listeners, but you it's just realize- now nice it's and-
1: yeah, there's a different connection there which I mean some people are, we're, we're very lucky to have that and uh, I I'm I was different I got asked if I wanted to be a pair or try pair skating when like I started skating late so I was like uh, 11 or I was probably oh, wow. 11 or 12 was when I actually started like starting to be not competitive but star skate competitive at the time like taking it seriously enough and my coach was like oh we have a girl here who wants to kind of do dance or pair and we're like ah sure i'll try it and then i watched a, I went i'd never watched it before so i went home and watched jamie and david on youtube Perfect. and damn done, done. just <laughs> wanted to be a pair skater from then on still single skater but i wanted to be like that was like i'm gonna be a pair skater for the rest of my life
2: that's a good performance to watch to hook somebody into pair skating for sure yeah. and actually i have a cool story about my start to pair skating uh, a friend of mine who was also a friend of bryce davison's uh, was asking me to do tryouts and to skate with him. And before I said yes, um, he had Bryce, his friend, call me on the phone. And so I would have been 15 years old. This would have been, a re- it was 2008. So Jessica Dubay and Bryce Davison were very successful already as a pair team. So for me, uh, I was very starstruck to be speaking on the phone to Bryce Davison. I think I had... I had a phone in my room and it was like a pink fuzzy phone, you know, it was like super cool that I have phone Jack in my room. And I remember like putting the phone down to run up to my mom to tell her that Bryce Davison was on the phone with me before running back down to speak to him. And, uh, he tried his best to convince me to skate Paris. And I don't know if that's what did it, but I think it didn't hurt for sure.
0: (laughs) Do you remember anything that he told you that day?
2: I do. (laughs) And I remember what I answered him. <laughs> it's not very nice, so I don't know if I should repeat it. What do you think?
0: Tell me tomorrow.
2: All right. <laughs> <laughs> I will just say it was. Uh, it was regarding uh, pair accidents that can happen, and I was maybe my. I was a little bit too candid with Bryce about my fears about what might happen. I think that's without leaving anyone too much on the edge. I think <laughs> I've grown and matured a lot from my 15 year old self and maybe even better in social settings now.
1: <laughs> that's still pretty awesome though. Actually, it's a funny story. So, uh, Bryce was a big part of when I was growing up, uh, Bryce and Dylan were a big part of the reason why I kept skating. Cause I got from a small town from a big, small ho- hockey town. And I got an email from Bryce about, you know, uh, pretty much just, you know, this is something that happens a lot with the sport and going through it as himself as well. And so he was a big reason why I kind of kept going with it because somebody and same thing at the time, I was like, they were very, I don't know when what year this was, but they were, Mm -hmm. this was probably before. So around the same time, 2008, 2009, like something like that. And that just like, that was kept me going for a while. And then I was able to connect with him more through that and Dylan as well. So that was a big thing though. That's just kind of Grace cool he-
2: Davison doing the people's work <laughs>
1: yes well done very good <laughs> that's awesome so then from there what other I guess you moved on to pair skating you've had so many accomplishments in pair skating what are some of been your, your own personal career highlights to yourself obviously you're very decorated at this point but what has been some really big career highlights for you
2: yeah thanks Trent um yeah, I've been really fortunate to have great partners. Uh, obviously, I have a great partner in Mike and and was so lucky to have a great partner in Dylan uh, before that. And so a lot of my biggest successes have come from my journey, really. And um, kind of the day in and day out, that's what really gets me going and what essentially I'll miss when this is all over. But in terms of results, a lot of people are surprised uh, to hear that um, when I tell them my career highlights, because they're not always the ones that seem the biggest. Like sometimes when people hear about um, winning a team medal in Sochi, uh, this is not my my favorite or my proudest moment by far. And of course, it was a cool one. It was uh, extremely, extremely cool to be part of that team, especially because it was the inaugural team. So it was the first time ever that the team event was in the Olympics, and. Uh, we won a medal together. It was extremely cool for me to be on the same team as Tessa and Scott and as Patrick Chan, people that we don't normally compete with, right? Because we're obviously in in different disciplines. But uh, my best moment in skating has been qualifying for the Pyeongchang Olympics with Mike. And when I tell this story to people, it it seems silly, like I mentioned, but it's sometimes the harder things that mean so much more. When Dylan and I qualified for Sochi, uh, we had done the work for the past four years that we were, uh, we of course still had to skate at nationals, but we were a little bit more solidified in our footing and in our placement to, to qualify to go to Sochi. And for Mike and I, uh, I'm sure you remember Trent, we were pretty severe underdogs and uh, we had placed third at nationals the year before and we were not selected to go to the world championships with a a three team three pair team teams and sent to worlds and so we really were underdogs and we knew that we had to kind of prove ourselves from the summer and so it wasn't just a you know a short program and a long program that got us there it was really a succession of Um, of great performances that we were so proud of every single one along the way. And it wasn't without its, its hurdles or its obstacles. And I, I remember thinking in the months prior in November and then in December, gosh, in December, I was changing my winter tires on my car and I had a, a call with my sports psych from the dealership lobby. And if like that doesn't scream the month before Olympic trials, I don't know what does. And it just, I remember thinking, I don't know how the heck, I'm going to do this with so much on the line for for three minutes one day and five minutes the next day. And having having done that with Mike, with the accumulation of everything that had happened to us before is the most special thing that has ever happened to me in my life and thus far. And I don't know that I'll ever have a sporting moment that tops it, really.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty uh, special uh, trip there in Vancouver definitely yeah. definitely yeah. Was. Hi- was highlight great. uh for me also yeah
1: yeah i remember i was there watching actually it was a pretty unreal for you guys i remember uh like obviously mike and i mike and i were rooming together at the time and we've been oh, very I didn't good know. friends I yeah. yeah yeah mike and i have roomed at national since fo 2018 together that was the first very time cool. we, yeah um but I remember like coming up to like Mike like afterwards after you guys had skated so well and everything it was very emotional for all the yeah. people who weren't like like I remember Scott Allison myself I think we were all crying with Mike like, really yeah it was a bit oh, up in the crowd that makes afterwards. Me feel happy. I think I started crying because they were crying and then Mike and was crying and it's just a I'm whole- sure that's, yeah,
2: Mike was fairly emotional too. And I think it's probably due to me. I don't, I am a, I cry a lot when I'm happy, I cry from happy emotions and, and, but never really as it pertains to me, you know, when I'm watching other people or experiencing things, you know, for or through other people. And there's just so many moments about this day uh, that I'll never forget. And um gosh, I just, it, it makes me so emotional talking about it. Still, we're almost four years later and it just, uh, gosh, it was special. And it's really a lesson to so many people that sometimes we are we're always hoping for things to be easy, you know, like to have the easy event or to have the easy path so we can get results the easiest. But what we fail to recognize is that the, the real pride, like the real moments that we take with us forever come from actually the hard ones. And as much as that sucked for gosh, the whole year leading into it, it was so stressful and terrifying. It's, it's the hard things that, that stick with us. And, um, that's a lesson I'm trying to remind myself all the time as well, because how quickly we forget.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, pretty embarrassed after shedding a tear on live television but uh now uh four years later i'm a little bit less embarrassed i think we we earned a couple of those tears i think so if you're ever gonna
2: cry i think that's probably a good time yes
1: (laughs) very granted mike i would do the same thing dude. (laughs) yeah i know that's a big thing that i think one of the coolest things in sports is and there's a lot of athletes that you'll talk to that you can talk to even like i've I've watched i watched a lot of videos and interviews with star athletes you know Tom Brady I watched almost everything with Kobe Bryant a lot of them and they talk about a lot about that sort of stuff you know it's yes obviously it's great to win the championships and to win the Super Bowl but uh, there's they even talk about themselves like days or other events that happened that they were just so proud of themselves for and that that's yeah. what they remember like playing through or coming back from certain injuries like i remember kobe was talking about one once that wasn't even had nothing to do with the championship that year um uh, i guess it had a little bit to do with the championship that year but it was more of proving that he didn't need somebody else like he didn't like he could do it without you know it was always about him and shaq and then him being able yeah, to yeah. win stuff with his team. It was like that sort of thing. He's like the championship. Yeah. But like there was other things that make it more successful and more like that. He'll remember everything else. for. So yeah, Yeah. more meaningful. It's awesome. So uh, uh, we had a year without a lot of that stuff. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. But that's when it becomes about the journey, you know, that's when we kind of pull from these other things. And gosh, if we could take anything from last year, it would be, Um, you know, from training with you guys and from overcoming um, kind of all of these crazy obstacles that were thrown at not only us, but everybody.
0: Uh, What are some of the struggles that you have dealt with along the way? Curse or (laughs) any pair skaters in general?
2: I started pairs, as I mentioned, when I was uh, 15, almost 16, going through puberty. And it was the first time I was exposed to I'm using quotes here, hand quotes, needing to lose weight or, or body image or what I was maybe supposed to look like a cookie cutter image for a pear girl. It was the first time I was exposed to uh, the scale. And um, through my experiences with uh, this type of um, coaching and management and these sort of this kind of culture and this behavior, um, it's made me extremely passionate about mental health and about body image and eating disorder as it pertains to our sport and many sports. And I think in figure skating with sport environment and especially sports with power to weight ratio components or with an aesthetic component, um, they're really designed for evaluation and judgments as it pertains to the body. And I think figure skating is um, kind of attracts like that type a personality, the personality that's part and parcel with um really uh, being in control and really perfectionist uh, type personalities and uh, people who are willing to do the job no matter what the cost. And I think when it comes to these type of athletes, the superior people in our lives and uh, the coaches and the management become such integral parts of how we grow up and how we see ourselves and um, how we respond to these types of pressures and um, I certainly didn't do it in a healthy way for the, uh, gosh, the better part of my career. And, um, I'm hoping to, to shift my four corners, you know, my like very small part of the world to help sort of, uh, the people around me to experience this a little bit differently in the best way I can.
0: What advice would you have for a, uh, a young girl going through this, uh, same experience as you?
2: I think, I think in sport, context matters. So how, I guess, maybe not for the young girl per se, but for the person coaching her, context really matters. And it's, um, you know, functionality versus appearance. What is your body capable of? What can it do for you? How can it achieve your best results? And I think it's not an idea, not to be mistaken for, you um, not working hard at our fitness and at the functionality of what our body can do, but instead having more of that as the focus and less of the aesthetic component and having everybody look the same in the same kind of cookie cutter body. And for the young female athlete, I think it's so important to have people around you that are supportive and uh, and, I guess will show you good body image and the right way to uh, behave and to um, go about your training really because it's really hard to know what's right and to kind of know who to emulate when you are young and motivated and really want to get your job done and i think it becomes so important to find the right people to emulate and and put your focus towards the right things to put your focus towards
1: Do you think that uh, now this is just something that I've noticed and I could be completely wrong about this, but social media used to be terrible, 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 terrible for, you know, these sort of things. Body image, obviously, Mm -hmm. it became a lot easier to be able to look at somebody on Instagram or whatever and see this perfect, you know, quote unquote, perfect body or whatever. Now, do you think that there's been enough or would you recommend to people trying to find the people who are, Or follow the people that you know who are standing up for change like that because there seems to be a lot more athletes using their platform, like yourself, um, but other athletes as well using their platform to help younger people with this issue. Or do you think, or do you have any comments really on about that aspect, like from the social media aspect per se?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Social media obviously is a monster, and it can be. uh, It's it's such a powerful influence, and it can be positive. Or negative, dependent on who you follow and kind of where you attract your energy. And uh, for me, social media is a pretty positive place. I follow people that inspire me, that uh, whose messages align with mine, who make me feel sort of powerful and good, or motivated and inspired. And I think if you um, really kind of make your feed in a way that it's sort of constructed to help you with all of these things. It can be, it can be, I believe, a very helpful and powerful tool for young people. Um, The tricky part is sometimes I think we, we have influences around us who uh, maybe even subconsciously are uh, influencing in a negative way that, you know, like I said, they're not even aware of. And maybe because they've been brought up in sport in a way that can be a little bit toxic, and they haven't sort of made their peace with that. And so they exhibit or exude sort of these actions and behaviors, or maybe even say things that um, can be conducive to, uh, to negative body image. And so while social media is a beast in itself, I think so much is done kind of in the ring, if you can say, or in our case, in the arena, in the dressing rooms. And I have certainly, um, it's really one of my biggest regrets. I have certainly been uh, a negative, um, really, I don't want to say role model, but I guess a negative body image exhibitor, if you can say, because I think when we speak about ourselves in ways that we don't like, even if I'm speaking about myself in a way that I would never speak about someone else or never even think about someone else, somebody younger or more impressionable that's around me really like a sponge swallows that up and thinks, well, should I think that about myself? And something harmless that, that I believe is something that I believe is harmless to other people, all of a sudden becomes a little thought that they have in their brain that they maybe never had before. And that's sort of how it happened with me very slowly, just kind of little, little thoughts in my brain, one by one, little by little. And then all of a sudden, especially when you're so driven to be the best and really to do whatever it takes to be the best. And you see this athlete across the room from you who maybe is uh, more successful Uh, you know, wins more medals than you do, whatever, who believes this and is saying these things, then you believe that you need to do the same. And I think that's where um, the bigger problem, if I can say, lies. And I should preface this by saying, I, of course, am not a professional. Um, I'm an athlete, an athlete with uh, some experience in this area, but everybody's experience is different. And so right now, I've been trying to take seminars, to learn things, um, and learn from other people who have the education, who know more than I do so that I can, as I mentioned earlier, help to affect my four, my four corners of the world in a, in a positive way.
0: Yes, I think, uh, we may not be doing better yet, but uh, the conversation has started and we're Absolutely. trying We're trying to do better. Uh, Skate 100%. Canada has started a new uh, safe sport uh, program and has assigned you as one of the ambassadors with uh, Patrick Chan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do in this role and uh, what do you wish to accomplish?
2: Well, we haven't started much yet. Um, with COVID, it was uh, kind of a late start. And so what I know about it is that ambassadors will be involved in increasing awareness and education on whatever kind of segment of safe sport that they're working in. So for myself, that will be um, body image and mental health with, um, you know, eating disorder involved. And we'll work closely with safe sport communications department to kind of create and promote change. So essentially, even what I'm doing here with you guys, what you just said, we're kind of trying to start a conversation and to facilitate the help that superiors and that coaches may need in order to kind of create this change. And sometimes I think we need to start at the grassroots, you know, to kind of start from the very, very bottom. And um, we know a lot about negative body image. We don't know a ton about body, about positive body image. We talk so much about the negative, of course, because it's important. But I think, as I mentioned earlier, if we can put so much emphasis on the functionality of the body, um, as opposed to just what it looks like, I think we can really promote change and create different habits in these younger athletes that they can carry with them, that they can foster with them as they move up, hopefully, throughout the sport. There's a quote by Gosh, Tom Bates, and I'm not going to direct quote it. I'm for sure going to mess it up. Don't direct quote it. But it's something to the effect of thoughts become things and what we think affects how we feel and the way we feel affects the way we behave. And in in the sporting context, ultimately, this affects how we perform. And I think uh, certainly in my case, this is so, so true. When we feel confident in our body, when we have enhanced empowerment in our body, we can Perform better. And it has nothing to do with, um, you know, not putting the work in to be your fittest, best self. This is so important. This is still so, so important. It's just about doing it in a way that's healthy for the athletes' mental health. That's not going to leave them (laughs) damaged (laughs) from the sport for years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, we had a conversation with Elijah on our like second or fourth Mm -hmm. episode. And we asked the same thing, like, you know, how do we start being better? And how do we start changing things? And for him, he said, obviously, the awareness part of it was is out there now. So there's more conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was education was the number one thing. So would you say after the conversation has been started, would you say education's, you know, for coaches, for parents, for other athletes as well. Like, would would that be the next big step that we need to take? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And I think sometimes coaches or superiors need assistance to do this um, efficiently and effectively. And I think so often to um, to keep costs low or to make it a little bit easier, coaches try to do everything, the whole job, and. I I guess I just wish in my case that the the body piece and the nutrition piece would be deferred to people who have education in that area. There's no shame in not knowing how to handle this effectively. I think a very small percentage of of coaches do. We are so lucky that ours is one of them, I believe, and uh, and one who Uh, If she doesn't, she will defer to someone who does. And I think that is the best quality that you can possess in a coach is to understand when you need to step back and send your athlete to somebody who can help them better and more efficiently in that case. And I believe, I really strongly believe that we don't fully understand the problem yet. And until we fully understand the problem, we can't make a solution. We need to and gosh, this is a, a dream of mine. You know, If we can get people in a room and let's just ask questions, ask questions about what people's ex- different experiences were because ev- so many people have differing experiences and, and, and ask them what their experiences were and what made it difficult and what might have helped and what they needed when they were um, athletes going through this struggle. And I think once we understand these things a little bit better, we can know what steps we need to take to move forward and to make sure that these kind of things happen less and less and less. And then hopefully not at all.
0: If there's any parents out there listening, and uh, they see uh, their child or another child starting to go down a uh, slippery slope, but they don't know exactly uh, where the outlet uh, to go is, how would yeah. you uh, direct them to uh, find that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough with um, with athletes who are stubborn and who really believe they're doing the right thing. And I think in a lot of cases, um, once you kind of go down this path, it takes a long time before you really want to change and improve. Uh, obviously not every, every case, everybody's different, but I think, um, for me, and sort of what I've learned in attending these kind of seminars and courses. And um, I did a clinic with Barack University where I learned a lot as well. It really starts with um, telling your child or your athlete or whatever that uh, you have noticed some behavior that you find concerning, and you want them to know that you support them 100% and you love them or you believe them or whatever is appropriate for for your relationship and uh, if they'd like to talk to you about it. And I think In a lot of cases, the answer is no right away. And my advice from my experience would be to not push it so aggressively straight away. Try to um, have these conversations a little bit more frequently, um, especially if you keep seeing this happening. And then if you believe that you really have a problem on your hands, then you consult a professional if you can. Um, If you're an athlete uh, or a figure skater, your coach might have a resource for you. Um, a nutritionist or a therapist or somebody that can help. And I think the biggest, most important piece, especially from the family, if that's what we're talking about, is that the child knows that they're supported and loved and that, um, you know, they have, uh, they really have their, their back in this situation and will help them in whichever way that they need the help.
1: So do you, is there a lot of seminars that like, like just some parents who want to get on top of it or coaches that there's being offered that people can take to be just more educated about situations like this?
2: Yeah. I mean, it really kind of depends. Sometimes we get lucky and whenever there's um, a seminar that's free, I always put it on my social media. There's um, uh, Kyla Fox recovery center. Uh, she works with a lot of parents um, as does I still work with somebody uh, named Jody Richardson out of Montreal and her clinic called Connect Psychology also works with a lot of parents um, and I think sometimes the issue with this can be the financial part and obviously this isn't accessible for everyone a big big dream of mine and it's a huge it's a it's a huge dream at this point would be to find a way for um, for our Federation for Skate Canada to have some sort of a a subsidized, um, a program where parents and coaches and athletes can get the help that they need, especially after, um, the, I did a TSN piece last year, uh, with, I believe six other women surrounding eating disorder in sport, all kinds of sports. And after that, uh, many skaters saw it, I believe. And, and because of that many coaches and, Gosh, five to eight coaches have um, reached out to me in just the last six months asking for help and what they can do for help and and to help their student or their child or, and even, you know, friends of my parents, people are really looking for this resource. And so um, it's something that I believe really is needed, especially when um, money is an issue. And and sometimes it is, and really everybody should have access to to this kind of help if they need it.
1: Well, Kirst, from your seven year old mindset, I think if you set a goal like this, you're very <laughs> passionate and there's something that you can do. And from the way you're talking about it, you're definitely gonna do something and it's gonna do something very great for our sport and for other people Thank you. surrounding this image.
2: Thank you. I hope so. And I hope I don't I really don't mean to come off as a as a professional. That is never my intention. Um I have a ton of work to do to educate myself, um, in sort of in regards to all of these things, but, uh, I'm doing my best. I really am just trying to help as much as I can. It's something I'm extremely passionate about. It's become incredibly important to me at this stage in my career.
1: That's awesome. Now let's go back to the current career just for a second. Sure. Um, you know, you've been to two Olympic games. That's pretty, that's pretty unreal. Now let's Thanks. talk just quickly about you know how did those experiences differ from Sochi to Pyeongchang? Obviously, different countries. Does there a lot of similarities? Is there a lot of differences? Like, uh, let's like you can talk about the experiences like not actually competing, but also of competing as well, if you'd sure. like. But how did those like, change for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of location, I always tell people when they ask me that the Olympics, at least the the two that I have attended. Really, you can't really tell what place you're in. It just kind of feels like Olympic land, like you're staying in a village. And so you have every country there with you. Um, The volunteers tend to come from all different countries. Now, um, I don't know about a COVID Olympics, but that wasn't your question, I guess. So um, in terms of Sochi and Pyeongchang, it really did just feel like kind of the world coming together and. Um, the audiences were such a mix of all different countries and supporters. And, and so in terms of placement places, it didn't feel a lot different. Um, I had really different experiences because in the first one, I was a part of the team event, as we mentioned. And so I competed a little bit more frequently. And so we had to, um, build our week, our couple weeks, a little different. And with Mike and I in Pyeongchang, we were not a part of the team event, but we were there. And the team event won the gold medal in Pyeongchang. And so we watched, I think, pretty much every performance because we were always at the rink, either about to practice or we just finished practice, obviously, for our own event. And it was, I think, a little bit more difficult than either of us thought to have all the energy and excitement of watching our teammates and friends win the gold medal. And we never expected to be on this team. As we mentioned, we were just so thrilled to be there in the individual event, but it was crazy to experience such the high energy and to be so genuinely excited for our teammates and then have to go downstairs in the Pyeongchang rink. The competition rink was upstairs. And then the the practice rink was like down in the basement. It was like very dark. And so we would be upstairs and all these big lights and TV and camera and sitting in the kiss and cry and so excited for everybody. And then we'd walk downstairs and kind of go to this like dungeon type, arena obviously it was very nice but um this dark arena and do our practice and so the vibe and the feeling for me for the two events were different um in terms of not competing i pretty much played it the same way both times i went to any sporting event that i could get my hands on a set of tickets um people joked about mike and i in pyeongchang that we were just like the ultimate sports fans because any sport we went to and we were cheering the loudest and we took photos and we were so excited for people we had never met before. And, um, that's a really cool part of the experience for me as well. I think it's so special to uh, take such pride in being part of team Canada. And we were so fortunate to compete early, uh, pairs was the first event in Sochi and in Pyeongchang, and we stayed until closing ceremonies both times. So I had over two weeks to be a sports fan and, um, the one of the highlights of my Sochi games was watching the female, uh, the women's hockey team win their gold medal. That's and sick. it was our whole Canadian delegation was there. Um, sorry, our whole Canadian figure skating team was there. The women had just finished competing. So we watched Gabby and Caitlin, and then we ran over to the hockey rink and everyone caught the end of the game. And Canada was down two nothing until pretty late in the game. So it was a very exciting win. And, um it's it's cool for a lot of people to hear that that was as much of a highlight for me as winning a silver medal and stepping on the podium
1: yeah you know uh, the i uh, since i've been a kid obviously the olympics is like for a lot of sports is like the super bowl or oh. the stanley cup for a lot of us cuz it's only every 4 years but since i've been a since I've been interested and, in, you know, have started to, you know, set that goal if I want to be an Olympian one day, um, that's been a big part of my actual it, i I I love sports and I love what sports does for our world and for people. Right. Like I never would have met either of you two, you know, without sport. You right. know, some of my best best friends come have been from sports and some of the best experiences and memories I have are from sports and not even just figure skating. Obviously, Mike and I make great memories playing disc golf all the time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> But there's a lot of that. And that's, I think, one of the coolest things about the Olympics. And obviously, I haven't been able to experience that yet. And I'm very much hoping that I'm able to. But that's one of the things, you know, non-COVID or COVID, you saw it in Tokyo. The world still came together without Absolutely. being there and watched every single athlete and, like, I don't know about you guys, but my TV was constantly just on Tokyo. So I was doing hundred
2: percent. I still had a great time watching Tokyo regardless exactly. of what and, it looked like. Yeah.
1: And that's what it's like all the time for the Olympics for mm-hmm. almost anybody I know. So, you know, that's a super cool thing. I think it's also super cool to hear it coming, you know, from athletes that that's not even just like, Oh yeah, it's all about the event and that stuff, but yeah, super, super cool.
2: And for us, that was, that was really the case. We, we had a blast.
0: And uh, speaking of the women's hockey team, they are playing for gold right now against USA. How are they doing? It is currently tied 2-2. Second period just ended. So we got uh, 20 minutes to go. Uh, Let's go, ladies. You got
2: this. Let's Let's go.
1: go. Awesome. So, Kirst, this has been a lot of fun. You know, you're a very educated woman. You've experienced a lot. You're very decorated. And obviously, you know, we're quite good friends I would say at this point and love having you around the rink so you Mm. know I know you read a lot
2: yes I do So, of course
1: I have to ask for the podcast book club what book would you recommend to our listeners
2: uh mindset I would recommend who who's mindset by do you know Mike I'm gonna look it up right now super quick it's on my shelf over there but I have headphones in and um it'll come out if I mindset by
1: Carol Dweck
2: yeah, that's the
1: one. Did Mike say that properly? I think so. <laughs> was Carol my S. Try. Dweck,
2: PhD. Great book. I actually, I mostly read fiction books. I have a really hard time not reading nonfiction, a really, really hard time. I just love losing anything that's happening to me in a fiction book. I have been known to bring them and read them at competitions before we start our warm-up so I can forget about being stressed for five minutes. Um, but I do try to read, uh, the odd nonfiction book. Mike is a big reader and a bit, well, I guess a big, um, a big fan of self-improvement and kind of learning about these things. And so I get some ideas from you as does, uh, Liam Ferris, big fan of reading nonfiction books as well.
0: That's what I was just going to ask. I know you're a big fan of fiction. What's the, what's the murder mystery you got to recommend to our listeners?
2: Oh, gosh. What's the one I just got? You can't ask me this because I I read three books a week minimum, so I never remember what they're called. The one I'm reading right now is We Begin at the End. It's good so far.
1: (laughs) Okay. So there you go. We Begin at the End and Mindset, depending on what you're looking for. (laughs) A little bit of something for everybody.
2: Yeah.
0: Let's uh, uh, jump into some rapid fire questions. I'm so Something... bad at
2: rapid fire, but okay, I'm trying my best.
0: Hopefully we it. got some good, some good ones for you. <laughs> Starting us off, what is your favorite plant or flower? Because I know you're such a plant lady.
2: Yeah, I'm a monstera gal. I have five in my house. I also like a bird of paradise. Those are my two faves.
1: All right, well, then we also, everybody else knows you love dogs. So besides dogs, not, dogs not allowed, what is your f- other favorite animal? Dogs. No, dogs aren't allowed, Kristen. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> Did you listen
1: to the question?
2: Yeah, I listened. I just I just didn't care. Uh, I never thought about my second favorite because I, <laughs> I never had to. Um, uh, there's got to be one. Uh, pigs
1: pigs pigs, Solid. pigs and,
2: yeah and i don't eat pigs because they're smart and cute
1: good
0: <laughs> what is your least favorite beverage
2: um root beer
1: really root beer
2: yeah i think it tastes like grape and i don't really like grape
0: wasn't okay. expecting that yeah <laughs> i was not no expecting wait that no either.
2: no it's it's dr pepper that's what tastes like grape
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I can get okay. behind the that, Dr. That Pepper. Sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I can that, so get so behind that's what I that.
2: meant. Yeah. I don't like root beer either. <laughs> Any of the um the carbonate drinks that aren't light, I, I probably like Coke is not for me either. Um, yeah. Anyway.
1: Okay, I can get behind the Dr. Pepper train. Not being good. Okay. okay. Um, what season is your favorite season of the year?
2: Um, fall.
1: Because of the definitely books
2: definitely fall. I like sweaters. The attire. Yeah, I prefer fall fashion. Um, And honestly, I like the time of the season. Like, summer is a great... I love to swim. I love the sun. But I always kind of equate summer with, like, hurting on the ice. (laughs) Like, just (laughs) run-throughs that are hurting still. And by the fall, they don't hurt as much anymore. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. (laughs) Who is your favorite Disney princess? Mulan. Nice.
2: Is she considered a princess?
1: Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yeah,
2: she's my definitely my favorite.
1: All right. Favorite flavor of ice cream?
2: Cookies and cream.
1: Mm-hmm. If
2: they don't have it, I, I'm not getting ice cream. It's not worth it for me.
1: Favorite
0: cartoon as a kid?
2: Um... I guess Barney's not a cartoon, but I watched Barney until, like, I was probably too old to watch Barney. In fact, I have a very vivid memory of my Uncle Brad making fun of me for watching it when I was, like, six or
0: something. <laughs>
2: super not nice. I also liked Arthur.
0: Arthur. Arthur yeah, was yeah. my favorite. And no it has, way! It has recently been canceled. What? Yes. Actually, oh, no.
2: Do I yes. want to know why?
0: I don't know enough of the details to speak okay. about it right now, but... okay. <laughs> it has been canceled oh no <laughs> oh, i
1: didn't even realize that oh
0: wow.
2: arthur shoot.
0: arthur the aardvark shoot
1: all right and last question because i think you've done both actually bungee jump or skydiving
2: oh bungee jump
1: really bungee jump. reasoning, yeah.
2: skydiving, reasoning? Why? skydiving was uh, super fun um a little scarier for me. I prefer bungee jumping because I like to feel like I'm like attached to something. So bungee, I'll do it without a second thought, but skydiving was, it was scary for sure. But going with a person, I wasn't near as scared as Mike was. I, will I was say. just
1: going to say, didn't I hear that Mike was crying when they opened up the door?
2: Uh, No, it, it was actually in the car on the way too. I believe I wasn't in his car, but a friend, of I my- don't
1: remember
0: that. I don't remember <laughs> that at all, guys. I had a blast. I, actually, I highly I actually, recommend it.
2: I got Mike that for his birthday, I think, right? Or like birthday and Christmas. I was the one who got yep. him
0: yes, you the, did.
2: the skydiving ticket. And I think his grandpa was so upset. He was trying to pay him to not go.
0: My grandpa offered to pay Kirsten back for yeah. her uh, <laughs> present. <laughs> but I think you were, you were
2: happy you went, right? It was really fun.
0: 100% I'm definitely gonna go again probably three yeah. four more times that's how yeah. that's how good okay. it was it's yeah. highly highly recommend
1: it
2: yeah oh maybe I changed my answer maybe I change. I don't know maybe I changed my answer
1: no rapid fire you go with the gut thing so it's okay. bungee jump
2: well bungee jump I guess it's the answer I'd like to do the New Zealand one's the highest one in the world I think
1: mm, did I'm not know that. that that's
0: cool
2: yeah
1: have you you haven't done either eh, Trent neither i don't know if I, really like, yeah so you want like, me to
2: buy you that for your birthday <laughs> i
1: don't know because then i'll feel bad if i don't go
2: <laughs> okay i won't do it won't like do i'm
1: it. not scared of very many things but like like heights i'm still like not the best with in bridges i don't like bridges i don't trust bridges
2: yeah it's i'm pretty scared of heights too um bungee jumping i just i don't know it was younger i just they said five four three two one i just booked it off the thing um but skydiving always nervous but since you have a person on your back you don't have a choice like they yeah. just push you out the plane so yeah would I recommend know.
1: it's such when a weird thing
0: once you're in the air it's zero scary like I know your stomach is not falling you're just no. complete enjoyment time of your life going nuts Until they
2: pulled the chute. When they pulled the chute for me, it was scarier than when we were falling. Because then you're going very slowly towards the ground. And they have you steer. And the person is very closely connected to you. And so they unhook a little thingy. Do you remember, Mike? So there's a little bit of space between you. And I was so nervous that my girl did not know what she was unhooking. And I was like, it's okay. Just leave it hooked. Just leave (laughs) it. It's fine. She's like, that was going to be great. That was the scary part for me
0: solid 10 inch drop while you're yeah. about a kilometer in the air and you just hit the bottom of the saddle yeah see <laughs> yeah, so you're not really convinced that that, yeah, that part's right. not helping me guys <laughs> we're doing it together trent i He's
1: know like i know it's yeah. gonna happen at some point but i'm gonna It's probably- recorded. <laughs> it's on. It's on record.
2: After the season, there. let's do it. Let's celebrate a successful season and go skydiving. Let's bring Ev. It's gonna be fun.
0: Perfect. I was just gonna say, Ev, you're signed up. You're yep. in. We've decided yep. without you, we are going after <laughs> the season. Good
1: luck, Evelyn. <laughs> I think she's gonna have better time with it than I will. I'm gonna yeah, be the gonna one say, that's I'm gonna be the problem. Sure she's gonna be okay. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, cursed. You're so much fun to train with. You're so glad you're in my life. You know, obviously, you and Mike are very, very close to me. So thank you for jumping on the podcast. And thank you for, you know, being an inspiration for a lot of people and doing what you do.
2: Thank you so much, Trent. Yes. Mutual.
1: Thanks. Thanks for being you, Kirst. Always,
0: always appreciate you. And uh, hopefully uh, we have some listeners here that uh, have learned something from you and uh, can,
1: can change a life.
2: So I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun.
1: Anytime. And for any of the listeners, what's your Instagram and your Twitter?
2: Uh, both are at Kirsten underscore MT.
1: Awesome. So head on and over. And it's
2: Kirsten, not Kristen. That's tricky for people.
1: Yes, that's also true. <laughs> so thank you very much, Kirsten. Ice Labbers, get to work in your labs and peace and love and be kind to one another. This episode of the Ice Lab Podcast was produced by Trent Michaud and Michael Marinero. Music produced by Hugo Schwinnard. If you haven't already, share with your friends and leave a review. Follow us
0: on Instagram at Ice Lab Podcast for more information and to stay up to date.